Hi everybody and uh, welcome back to Ace Family Podcast. My name's Patrice and I'll be your host this evening. And uh, here we are with the very long-awaited G episode. And um, you know what? I like mixed it up a little bit. I didn't think I was going to do this this topic for G, but here we are. And today what we're going to be covering is the Grafton Monster, which I guess, you know, is, is kind of interesting because it's sandwiched between, you know, the, the time of the Flatwoods Monster, which I've already done an episode on, which if you haven't um, listened to that one, you might be able to go and uh, have a look and a listen back at that previous episode. That was probably one of my favorites. And I don't know, like I, def- I definitely feel like there was something going on in 1952 around that time, especially with all like, you know, the strange articles from Wheeling and, you know, and the like. So I feel like, you know, 1952 can be when we say strange things started to happen in West Virginia. Then we have on the opposite scale of that, the Mothman, which happened in 1967. And, you know, kind of in in the middle of it is this Grafton monster sighting, which happened in 1964. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to introduce you guys to the story of the Grafton monster. If you've not heard it before, and if you have heard it before, I hope that I do it justice. You know, what's so interesting about this story, which is what often happens when I start to look into a folklore story or some kind of local legend. Uh, or hometown monster is that I tend to find all these kind of like silver threads you could say that link stories together like similarities and stories and you know for me being in this hobby that's probably you know what I love the most about it is trying to find those little kind of what if moments that make us really like pause for thought for a second and make us think, hang on a second, like, is this part of some kind of greater phenomena? And I don't know, hopefully you stick with me with this one and you can start to see the idea that, you know, I guess like the silver threads that I kind of try to stitch together uh, with this story. Because from the outset, I guess it seems like a kind of silly story. Like if any of you have played Fallout 76, you'd know what the Grafton monster is. So it's essentially like almost an amorphous kind of, white blob which doesn't have a head uh it sounds kind of silly you know so I think that's what has always kind of put me off kind of looking into it in an earnest because I kind of just wrote it off as potentially like you know just uh, uh like I don't know I've just never really resonated with this story until I kind of sat down and gave it a little bit more kind of attention than I thought that I ever would so without further ado I won't wobble on too much more. (laughs) Let's get into the story, shall we? Actually, just quickly though, I should just take this time to remember to say this part, that if you're listening to this and you're watching it on YouTube, or if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you haven't already followed my channel, please do. It helps a lot. And it means that you can be up to date when I do post my podcasts, which, you know, this year have been very inconsistent. But, you know, I feel like in these unprecedented new times, everybody can understand why, because we're all just kind of, you know, sorting our lives back out again. Um, So, yeah, but please do 
um, comment and subscribe and follow and all those lovely social media things that you do for your favorite podcasters. Thank you. On June 16th, 1964, a man called Robert Cockrell was making his way home at around 11 o'clock at night when he claims that he saw on the banks of the Tygate River a gigantic creature that was soon to be known simply as the Grafton Monster. Robert was a reporter for the Grafton Sentinel and had been working back late that night, but claims as he was rounding a curve in the road, which was once called Riverside Drive, I think, but now it's called Yates Avenue, he saw what he described as a, and I quote, giant white obstruction with slick pale white skin and no head. Obviously terrified, he decided to do the most logical thing and not call the police, but call two of his buddies, Jerry Moores and Jim Mauser, to tell them what he'd seen. They decided that they'd go back to the site where Robert had seen the monster, but when they got there, they found only trampled grass where he said the monster was standing. Curiously, though, they could hear a strange low whistling sound that seemed to follow them around as they searched the area. So they went home and decided to kind of think nothing of it. Like, you know, maybe he'd just been seeing things. Maybe it was a figment of his imagination. He didn't think that anything else was going to come of this. So Robert went to work like normal the next day and said nothing of his sightings to his co-workers at the Grafton Sentinel. But when similar sightings started to be called in to the newspaper, he decided to confess to his co-workers that he too had seen this creature that people were claiming to have seen. Despite being heavily censored by his editors on the 16th of June, an article that he wrote went to print. Teenage Monster Hunting Party's Latest Activity on Grafton Scene. Want to go monster hunting? If so, just join the rowing bands of teenagers who are apparently convinced that a monster exists and is roaming in a section of Riverside Drive near the city stone quarry. Wednesday night, several bands of teenagers armed with flashlights, mallets, crowbars and the like were reported searching the Riverside Drive area. The description of the alleged grafted monster sounds suspiciously like that of recent reports of a monster in Michigan, except that Grafton seems to be much bigger in every respect. One teenager said that the, that the youths on Wednesday night were searching for a creature nine feet tall and about four foot wide. He said it is agreed that the creature is white and has no discernible head and emits a weird whistling sound. So far as could be ascertained today, area law enforcement authorities have taken no official notice of reports of the Riverside Drive monster. Several teenagers, none of them identified by name, have reportedly seen the monster and given a fairly telling reports of its appearance. The tale is even embellished with the theory that the creature was first sighted in the Morgantown area and arrived in the Riverside area via the... Monagalia and Tygate rivers. Did I say that correctly? One news suggested that it might be an escaped polar bear, but offered no suggestions as to where such an where such an animal could have escaped. I can't be sure, but I think it's probable that they are referring to what is known as the Dewey Lake Monster, Michigan Bigfoot, or the Sisters Lake Sasquatch. I don't think you can say Sisters Lake Sasquatch seven times. Like Sisters Lake Sasquatch. Sisters Lake Sasquatch is really hard. It's like a tongue twister. <laughs> So only the week before the sightings of the Grafton monster on the 9th of June, which is two days after my birthday, just so everyone knows, Mrs. Evelyn Utrip summoned the Cass County Sheriff's Department deputies to her family's farm after some young workers that she had on her property reported catching a glimpse of a large creature between the barn and shed. 
According to the witnesses, 25-year-old Gordon Brown, his wife Mary, his brother Randall and another girl from the neighbourhood drove into the property and caught the creature in the headlights of their car. The men found flashlights in the car and gave chase to the creature for 300 yards or so into the woods. Thinking that it had gotten away, they noticed a tree, which they hadn't seen before. Yeah, you guessed it. They slowly realised that whatever it was, was actually standing there deadly still pretending to be a tree and that it hadn't escaped. And when they realised this, then all of their courage gave way at once and they ran away. Apparently, similar sightings of this creature have been occurring in the Sisters Lakes area since 1962, with locals saying that they'd seen a hairy creature walking on two legs amongst their cherry orchards, berry patches, and the swampland by Dewey Lake. Mrs. Utrop herself told the officers that although she'd never seen the creature, she'd often heard it outside, especially in the summertime. Sometimes it would sound like a crying baby or a honking goose. She believed that she'd once been chased inside by this creature, claiming its footsteps shook the ground and the house around her. Officers found a truck outside the Utrecht farmhouse on the 9th, but the sandy soil meant that a plaster cast was inaccurate. Reports, however, say that it measured six inches wide at the middle and three and a half inches wide at the heel. So the monster hunting kind of aspect, which is mentioned in the Grafton Sentinel news article, refers to the fact that from this sighting, someone made up a sign which said the word monster and an arrow that was pointing to the Utrop farmhouse. Police removed the sign, but a newscaster in nearby Benton Harbour incorrectly put out a call on behalf of the Cass County authorities for people to help them come and stalk the creature. That evening, people from everywhere, even as far as Ohio, descended on the roads of Sister Lakes, armed with shotguns, rifles, hunting knives, everything, trying to find the monster. The deputies, who had actually been planning to stake out the creature on their own, spent the evening instead persuading people to go home before someone was shot by mistake. On the 11th of June, the creature made a rare daylight appearance to a group of young girls. They are believed to have had the best view and description of the creature so far. They were walking along the road when a creature emerged from the woods and crossed the road in front of them. One of the girls fainted from shock, but after she came to, they ran to a nearby house and called the police. The girls described the creature as being seven foot tall with a black leathery face and definitely not a human being. A gentleman named Robert Walker came forward admitting that he not only knew about the existence of this creature for quite a long time, but he was also familiar with its nightly routine and expressed his concerns about the recent commotion in the area as he hadn't seen it for two nights and afraid that it was hiding in the woods and could kill someone lashing out in fear. Paul Parrish was a former Cass County Sheriff during this time and was quoted to have said that it was the strangest time in his 33 years of law enforcement. He admitted that they had investigated the phenomena long and hard, but weren't able to come up with whatever it was, noting that some good, honest, legitimate people reported it. So I guess, you know, it's easy to kind of surmise that in both the Grafton Monster sighting and also this Michigan Bigfoot Sister Lake Sasquatch sighting, you know, that it is some kind of biped ape-like creature you know and this is in a time before Patterson Gimlin kind of burst onto the scene with the uh, you know footage of Patty and 
also a lot earlier than the 1971 recordings of, you know, the Sierra Sounds, which if you haven't heard those, just like stop, stop this podcast right now and look up Sierra Sounds on YouTube and listen to them. They were recorded by Ron Moorhead and Al Berry in 1971 and they're considered probably like the audio equivalent of the Patterson-Gimlin footage. If you can go onto Ron Moorhead's website as well, he has a recording which is labelled Child's Play and it does sound like a child crying, something pretending to be a child crying. I guess what kind of creeps me out the most about that, especially um, for, you know, the, the lady, Mrs. Utrip, that was living in the farmhouse, is that that would almost seem like a law to get someone out of the house, to get a female out of the house, you know, like you you might think that it was your own child that was crying or a child in need that needs your help. And so your initial kind of reaction, I guess, would be to help it, wouldn't it? God, that freaks me out. That reminds me of that story that was emailed to me um, when I was doing Full Metal Tuxedo from an urban explorer who said that they could hear like the whines of a small puppy, but it was actually like a dog man that they could see that was just trying to lure them out by making them think that it was a puppy. Like that's some, that there, that right there is some serious like short film horror movie shit. Like, oh God, that story still creeps me out. If you have any really cool stories of encounters that you have, please feel free to send them through to me at asforalienpodcast at gmail.com because I love hearing your guys' stories and encounters. You know, no matter how benign they you think they are, like for my own personal curiosity, I love hearing the crazy experiences that you guys have had. So I can't include the recordings of the Sierra Sounds on the podcast because they are all copyrighted, but I bring them up because I feel like it is a really good example of the kind of mimicry that people say Bigfoot is capable of. And if you listen to it to its entirety, um, you know, it kind of it starts with whistles and hoops and all of that kind of, you know, that normal kind of, um, I guess, Bigfoot noises that you that you can hear in the woods. <laughs> I, I laugh at myself when I say that, like, oh, you'll hear all the normal, regular Bigfoot noises <laughs> like everyone's hearing them. And I think, too, that if you have, like, a good set of headphones to listen to the Sierra sounds with, it makes the experience so much better because you'll notice, like, there there are, you know, the researchers, so – there is, uh, you know, the voices of Ron Moorhead and Al Berry talking to each other. But you can definitely tell that there is a significant amount of distance between, you know, the guys talking to each other on the recording and obviously the responses that they're getting from the noises that they're making and the creepy, the creepy kind of way that, you know, when the alleged Bigfoot kind of, start trying to mimic human voices and human language um, is particularly unsettling in my opinion. Even if you're familiar with the Sierra Sounds, hopefully you stop and go and have another listen to it again because, you know, I just did. And um, like you can't even imagine, like I was trying to imagine myself in that position like 
hearing hearing a Bigfoot mimicking me, like because they're talking to each other. So there's this really particular part of the recording where, you know, um, Ron says to his colleague like, oh, there's two of them over there by, you know, the by the creek and he kind of whispers it. But then obviously whatever this creature is, it's got incredible hearing because instead of hooping back, it goes, it's like it pretends like it's a human. So it's almost like it's mimicking them, you know. So, oh, my God, I could, I would, I would just fucking die if I was in the woods camping or doing something like that, just something that I love, just looking at the stars and the next minute there's some kind of smart-ass Bigfoot like mimicking me. <laughs> Having said that though and jumping to the most fantastic explanation, there is of course a lot of other kind of more logical, more likely explanations for noises in the woods such as like children crying or women screaming, you know, like it's quite well documented that bobcats make those kinds of noise, that coyotes make those kinds of noises. But, uh, you know, my stance on this normally is, yeah, that, that may be fair enough if it was a testimony from somebody, like say like myself that lives in the city and hears a bobcat screaming and thinks that it's a woman screaming. But when I think it's people that have grown up in those areas and have been in the woods and know what's in the woods and know the different sounds, um, you know, I think it's a bit insulting to say that they can't tell the difference between an animal that they've heard probably, you know, most nights of their life over something completely new. So, But, you know, going back to the Grafton monster sighting, when Robert Cockrell, Jerry Moores and Jim Mauser said that they could hear a strange whistling noise. Like the problem that I have with the description of a whistling noise, like what does it mean? Like is it like a human whistle, like a or is it, you know, the whistling through the trees? You know, I feel like there's a lot of different kind of whistles or there's like a whistle of a kettle or there's a whistle of a train, you know, so there's a lot of different kinds of whistling. Um, A Google search for whistling in the woods actually kind of surprised me a little bit because uh, this video came straight up called Top 10 Strange Whistling Sounds in the Woods, and it's by a YouTube account called Driftless, and his hobby is basically recording birds and other kind of animals in the woods and then trying to identify them. And so he has this YouTube video, which is basically a collection of whistles that he's recorded in the woods that he can't identify. And I love it in his kind of introduction to this video. He says like, oh, you keyboard warriors, like, you know, I've posted these recordings on many forums for bird watching and things like that. And no one can come up with a suggestion for what this particular whistling is that he's hearing in these videos. There are some really, really cool recordings on this guy's video. Like there's one which he recorded at almost two o'clock in the morning and it's descending pitch whistles. Um, Yeah, they're definitely, it's definitely not a bird. But then it makes you think like, is that the kind of whistling though that they were talking about or are they trying to say it's more like a kind of whistling noise that's been reported from UFOs? Because you got to remember that, like, 
you know, was that the kind of angle that they were trying to, to go to go down to kind of sensationalize it? Was it more like a, you know, like on those old sci-fi movies, you could hear like that whistle kind of noise whenever there was a UFO craft kind of around, you know, like Mars Attack style kind of whistle. So that reminds me of the Redlands UFO encounter, which happened in 1968, where people reported that the UFO emitted a kind of whistling sound, which really interestingly was actually recorded, believe it or not, because there was a recording being made by Reverend Julian V at the Bethel Christian Church, and he claimed to be recording at the same time that all of these people in uh, Redlands, California, witnessed this UFO over their town. So apparently it was the 4th of February, shortly before 7.30, and a classic flying saucer shape appeared over North Redlands for almost two to three minutes. And it wasn't just, you know, seen by one or two people. They had around 200 witnesses that claimed to have seen this craft, saying it was about 50 feet in diameter, that had a row of windows, and that it hovered two to 300 feet above the ground before moving slowly northwest across the city, then disappeared in the direction of the then operational Norton Air Force Base. And I know I've probably gotten a little bit off track. So let's go back to the original story once again. And you know, kind of look at the physical description of the Grafton monster. So this is the part that always kind of put me off this story because it's meant to be nine foot tall with white skin and no discernible head. And, you know, now if you look up Grafton monster on Google, you, you'll you see like, you know, many, many images of this creature because of the fact that it's in Fallout uh, 76. Seems a bit completely out of the realms of reality for there to be a creature without a head this like a hulking giant creature that sounds like a character out of Dungeons and Dragons being a tangible real thing or a cryptid even, you know. Like I tend to sway more towards belief in, you know, like Bigfoot potentially being a very real living creature as opposed to something like this which just sounds like a complete flight fantasy. It sounds like a strange description in this day and age, but to my intrigue, a little research revealed some very interesting results when it came to headless men. So various species of so-called headless men have been rumoured throughout antiquity and even later. The earliest depictions of headless men was written by the ancient Greek historian Herodotus in 430 BC in the histories of Herodotus. In the history of Herodotus, he refers to them as a kephaloi, which literally translates to without a head in ancient Greece. Apparently, these akephaloi dwelled on the eastern edge of ancient Libya alongside with the dog-headed men called the Cenocephali and the, air quotes, wild men and women besides many other creatures not so fabulous. In addition to this, Legends of headless men also appear throughout Asian folklore and the so-called breast-eyed races are recurrent throughout Zoroastrian scripture as well. In the Indian epic, the demon Kabana is a headless creature with one eye in the middle of his stomach and long arms who is cursed to remain that way until he is released by Rama. In the Middle Ages, the Beowulf manuscripts details headless eight-foot giants in the wonders of the East. Even the explorer Sir Walter Rayleigh basically came to the decision that based on 
the testimony of people that he's spoken to in the new world that claimed that they'd seen these creatures which didn't have heads, in fact had faces in their chests, he had to believe that they were true. I'm not so sure if I believe that these beings truly existed as they were depicted though, and I lean more to the idea that legends of headless people is perhaps maybe like clever costuming or armor or perhaps defensive stances that they took which made them appear like their head was within their body to protect themselves. I found too and there's lots of images online uh, species of apes such as the bonobo have the ability to raise their shoulder blades above the height of their head as a defensive mechanism. So it makes me think that you know, what if the Grafton monster was some kind of Sasquatch or a Bigfoot or like, you know, some kind of ape creature that has that same kind of ability to be able to throw its shoulders above its head as a particular, you know, defense mechanism. And the fact that the Grafton monster didn't have any hair isn't particularly, you know, a problem either because alopecia is a genetic trait that has been observed observed in other apes, most famously the chimps Jambo or Mongo of the Twi'kos Zoo. And, you know, it's too funny not to admit, but I did actually like Google the term bald Bigfoot. So if anyone is looking for a hilarious Halloween costume, you know, there you go. What I what I should have Googled instead was a hairless Bigfoot. But, you know, surprisingly, that didn't lead to much. Um, if anything, it just referred me back to square one and refers to the Grafton monster. So yeah, if you've ever seen a hairless Bigfoot, I mean like that could be a totally loaded question. I don't want to I don't want to hear about questionable types that you've met at a dive bar. <laughs> but if you have seen or heard of any stories featuring hairless Bigfoot, that could be, you know, like a similar creature to that which the people saw in Grafton during this time, please let me know because I would be really interested to have a look and have a read along any stories that you find. See, the skeptic in me though looks back at this story and thinks that it literally is just a town that's trying to kind of capitalize on this monster hunting kind of craze that was happening during this time. Like even the newspaper article that was written references the fact that there is a monster hunting craze referencing what happened in Michigan you know because obviously like anything that can bring a, a big crowd to your town has got to be good for you know the town economy right because you're going to have diners that people are going to come in and spend money places to stay all that kind of stuff you know so I don't know skeptically I look at that and think that, you know, it's having a monster in town good for business. And it probably is, you know. So, like like even now, these towns still are able to use these incredible stories, which are now part of the American folklore fabric, to bring people in, to spend money in their towns, to like, you know, hear a yarn from someone that may have been there, that might have seen it, that could have heard it, you know. And that's not to discount people's personal experiences, but I don't know. In this case, I feel like the Grafton monster is made up. I'm sorry, but I'd love to know what you think because, uh, yeah, you know, if you have seen the Grafton monster yourself, if you've seen a creature like this, um, you know, there are some descriptions that say that it looked like kind of a mound of rubble or a boulder. If you've seen something similar, please let me know. I'd love to hear about it at A is for Alien Podcast 
at gmail.com or commenting on this video or by commenting on my Instagram posts. I'm most active on my Instagram. Um, yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in again this week and I hope the next episode's going to be out pretty soon. Um, I'm tr- I've got some time off from my day job so actually I'll be putting together a few more of these. Even if they're kind of shorter, I guess like consistency is the key so even if they're shorter episodes being able to kind of work this in which is my hobby and my passion and with my normal life is you know probably the way forward so thank you so much for your continued support and I really look forward to the conversation we have about this all right thanks guys bye